This message was presented at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Again, Father, this afternoon we want to turn our thoughts to you, and we ask that you will help us to understand the motives and the power to do this work that you're calling us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So this talk um, has in it, uh, woven through it, the same concept that we've been using for the entire four, the three previous talks. And that concept is the concept of self-sacrificing love. Sacrifice motivated by love that gives you power to make change. And this is actually one of the, one of the strongest areas where we're going to talk about it today. Um, I'm going to make a statement, and it's a pretty big statement. And we're going to repeat it a couple times during our, our presentation, but I want you to kind of get the, the, the gist of it. The faith of Jesus... We're talking about the three angels' message. Remember those who have uh, the, the faith of Jesus? The faith of Jesus is the key to the motive and the power of Jesus. The faith of Jesus is the key to the motive and the power of Jesus. We're seeking to persuade all of, all of you in this particular presentation that the key to both the motive and the power that you need in medical ministry is the faith of Jesus. Revelation 14, 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So the faith of Jesus is the key to the motive and power of Jesus. Um, we've also often heard that Jesus is our example in all things. So how then did he live his life? How did he get his power? Where our power is, is the same source as he got his power. He lived a perfect life. You can only live a Christ-like life through the same source of motive and power as he got. So I want to ask you a question. I'm going to read a scripture, and then I want you to raise your hands if you can identify with this passage in your own personal life. Here it is, Romans 7. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, what I desire to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that's what I do. Going on down for, to will is present with me. I have that desire. I want to do it. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that it, I will do, I do not do. But the evil that I don't want to do, that's, that's what I practice. How, can many, how, how many can identify with that statement? Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, I, I question your truthfulness. <laughs> All right, you raise your hand for everybody else. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, that's right. We all, we all experience that same 
struggle. But realize that that's the struggle that the people that you're ministering to also experiences. Okay? The, um, it, it's a struggle that, that every man and woman on planet Earth has. Follow me a minute here. Let's equate in the, in the message to the Laodiceans. Remember the Laodicean church message in Revelation chapter 3? Jesus offers three components. His diagnosis. We're spiritually wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. His remedy. Buy from me pure gold, white clothes, and I salve. His power for the living, the sacrificial Christ-like life. I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He wants to come into your heart. He wants to come into your life. He wants to live his life in you. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How? As I have loved you. That you also love one another. And by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The very evidence that we are the disciples of Jesus is, the love, is to love like Jesus loved. Jesus loved and forgave even his enemies. Even those who crucified him. Now, that's impossible for us to do on our own power. I can't do that. And it's why this type of love is the clearest evidence and really the demonstration that Jesus is living his life out in me. The type of love, that total giving love, sacrificial love, is proof that we are Christ's disciples. Because we absolutely cannot do it on our own. And it's only through the faith of Jesus that that can happen. See, in the medical ministry, it's impossible to perform as Jesus did without his motives, without his power. We can't perform like Jesus. And just as the victorious life of Jesus is impossible to perform without his motives and power, it's, it, that is the reason why it's the gospel in illustration when we do medical missionary work. Because it shows how our characters ourselves have changed for us to be able to take on the power of Christ to do work for others. It's why it's so vitally important that the healing ministry and the gospel ministry be closely connected. The healing ministry is dependent upon the gospel ministry to bring power for change. The gospel ministry is dependent on the healing ministry to provide practical illustration of the gospel so people can understand how to how the cure from sin works. I should have had this on the screen for you when you were reading that, but uh, just to emphasize that the healing ministry is dependent upon the gospel ministry to bring power for change. The gospel ministry is dependent upon the healing ministry to provide a practical illustration of the gospel so that people can understand how the cure from sin works. So here, let's look at te uh, Testimonies, Volume 6. 
Medical missionary work is in no case to be divorced from the gospel ministry. The Lord has specified that the two shall be as closely connected as the arm is with the body. Without this union, neither part of the work is what? Complete. That's right. The medical missionary work is the gospel in illustration. We've mentioned that over and over again today, and we want to just drive that point home. Okay? Now, we're talking about the motive and the power of medical ministry. And um, you need to know that not all motivations are equal. You see, I think I've said it before, sacrificial love is, is stronger even than the desire for self-preservation. Sacrificial love is, can be stronger than even the desire for self-preservation. For, I saw a, a, a newscast once where a child had fallen off a bridge into a river. His father, without hesitation, dove off the bridge into the, into the water, grabbed his child, and struggled with him at great effort, finally brought him to the side. This father couldn't swim. But he didn't hesitate to save this child where self-preservation would have said, this is not a good idea. But his love for the child would sacrifice self. And that's the kind of power that we need in medical ministry. The motive for living a sacrificial, Christ-like life comes from the love of God. That's where the power is. That's where the strength to accomplish tasks are. 2 Corinthians 5.14 is the love of God that compels us. You see, it's the love of God that compels us. Our feeble minds are incapable of even fully comprehending the breadth, the length, the depth, the height of the love of God. But as we catch a glimpse, just a little glimpse of that love and accept it really fully, fully for ourselves, it creates brand new patterns of thinking that change us. New motives that take part, take place in our hearts. And when we recognize for ourselves the matchless love of God, it alters our characters. On the cross, Jesus was treated like you deserve. So that he can treat you only like he deserves. As he hung upon the cross between heaven and earth, he suffered the abuse of his creation, and he cried out, Father, what? Forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive Wayne Cablano, for they don't know what they do. He was treated as we deserve, for he, God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. First Peter chapter 2, who Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes we are what? It's by His stripes that our hearts are changed. It's by His death on Calvary that our motives are transformed. What a Savior we have. For we were like sheep gone astray, 
now returned to the shepherd of our Savior, uh, shepherd and overseer of our souls. When we grasp hold of the cross of Christ, when we personally accept the gift of the righteousness of Jesus, when I see that it was my rebellion, it was my stubborn, stubborn backsliding, it was my transgression of God's holy law that killed my God, then the power of Satan will be broken in our lives. We're set free from the chains that sin and Satan has bound us to for so long. Our rebellious hearts cannot resist such love. We're freed from the destructive habits of a wayward life and created a brand new person in Jesus. Our old thought patterns, our old works, our old words, our own actions are transformed. They no longer appeal. New motives, new desires are instilled by the Holy Spirit. And the life takes on a whole new pr perspective. Love for God. Love for Jesus. Love for the Holy Spirit. Love for our fellow human being floods the heart and minds with new impulses, new motives, new principles of action. The motive of responding to this love of God, this sacrificial love of one who'd give everything, alters me. And in Galatians 6.14 it says, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Everything else faded that was of any importance except Jesus when he fell in love with God. And what that allowed him to do was amazing works because the motive of love spurred him forward. Gratitude for sins forgiven, it is a power for change. It's a power for the change of heart, the man's heart that hears it. It can be greater as a motivator than the principle of self-preservation, to recognize my sins are forgiven. That's where the martyrs found their strength because their sins were forgiven and God had given all. They fell in love with him so much that they had to give everything to him. The motive for you to change your life is the same motive the world needs to change their lives. When you minister to others, they need what you've got. They need this motive. They need to see Christ uplifted so much that they fall in love with Him and want to be different. Can you see what difference this would make in somebody trying to overcome lifestyle habits? I've been working with a man who has been depressed for several years. And through a group Bible study, group time together, he came to recognize that he needed to forgive some people. Not only accept Christ's forgiveness, but extend it to others. And when he came to the place of forgiving others that had done him wrong, his depression was gone. But until that time, he was not able to handle those issues. It's, it's the, the spiritual and the physical are so closely connected, you cannot, uh, 
You cannot minister to one without ministering to the other if you want to be effective uh, for a person's life. And, and not even the motive of fear for one's life is as empowering as the, as the motive of love for Christ. I've been in a room with a person in the ICU who was told the reason they had a heart attack was because the vessel in their heart spasmed because they had smoked. And when, this, when the cardiac surgeon left the room, the patient said to me, I think I need a cigarette. The motive of self-preservation, the fear, didn't last until the guy walked out. But the motive of love for God, I've seen people take those cigarettes and throw them away. You see, the cross of Christ is our greatest motive for change. And it demonstrates the love of God, and the love begets love in return. It demands a response. When you love somebody, it demands a response. It doesn't just modify the heart. It changes and transforms the life. And this is the power of God to salvation, not just of the soul, but of the body. It is how we apply the change that needs to occur in the body as well. So, We've been talking about motives, and all those motives are necessary as a foundation for where we go when it comes to change, because it is the power that we work from. But let's now, now, let's now talk about that power itself. You see, there are several sources of power that we can have. We can say that knowledge is a source of power, but it does have its limits. I mean, you want to see that. I've got many people that I know that want to quit smoking. And it says on every package of cigarettes on the side, these will kill you. But that doesn't stop things from happening. So knowledge just simply isn't enough. Self-discipline. Self-discipline is also a power. But you need to understand, self-discipline does have its place in change of the life. But it's not what you think. You see, the discipline is to stay where the power is, not to be the power. That's right. You see, the activities that follow when you are where the power is are natural. But when you're trying to be the power, that's the source of your depth. I mean, that's the depth of your source, I'm sorry. That's the best you get. So, even the discipline is found in Jesus. You can even use momentum. Have you ever heard it said... If I could just lose those few pounds, I could keep them off. You know, how many times have you heard that? Or if I could just exercise for a week, I know I can keep it up. But what we need isn't momentum. Momentum, what we need is power, not momentum. There's a saying that goes, momentum is the direction and speed an object will take when the power is turned off. What we need is not momentum. Momentum is about force. Jesus is about power. So momentum doesn't do it. Jesus came and he said, he spoke to them and he said, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. God's power is different than human power. We receive power through our relationship to the one who is power. It's all about who rules our hearts. 
You know, power for, ca- for change comes from the ruler of the universe, and, and willingness to be ruled is our problem, isn't it? We want to rule. I want it my way, Daddy. Instead of, Daddy, I want it your way. Power is found through surrender. And how does that work? Where is the effort and the struggle? Is it against the sin? Is it against the inclinations of the heart? No. The struggle is to stay where the power is. Are you ready to give up trying to use your own resources and surrender to Jesus' power? And to support this, we look at Christ's Object Lessons 3.12. When we submit ourselves to Christ, the heart is united with His heart. The will is merged in His will. The mind becomes one with His mind, and the thoughts are brought into captivity to Him. We live His life. This is what it means to be clothed with the garments of His righteousness. You see, it's impossible not just to save ourselves, it's really impossible to change by ourselves. And Christ's righteousness alone is not only our only hope for salvation, it's our only hope for real and lasting change. When it comes to our character, that's the power. I urge all of us to take hold of Christ without delay. We should do this immediately every day. We should do this in the beginning. We should do this throughout the day to take hold of Christ and experience the power of Jesus to make a change. So the question is, how do we, how do we make that connection? Jesus, you know, how, how did Jesus gain the power that he had in his life? Because that's the power that we need. And so let's take a look at that for a, a few minutes here. Jesus, number one, Jesus was made to be like one of us in every way. The struggles that you have, the temptations that you have, guess who had those same struggles and temptations? Hebrews 2, therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren. Going on, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Jesus was made like you and me. He became just like us, and he struggled with the temptations. He got hungry, thirsty, and tired, and he was tempted to be irritable. He became an example, and it, we'll see how we can live his life in a few minutes. Now, if Jesus was made like us in every way, how do you perform miracles? Because if he's made like me, I don't perform miracles. So how, how, how did he live a perfect life if he was made like us in every way? In John 5, 19, it states that Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself. But what he sees the Father do, for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Oh, he didn't do it of himself. Then Jesus said in John 8, 28, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. You see, 
Jesus was in close connection with his Father, and it was through that close union with the Father that he was able to do things through Jesus. You see, he prayed to the Father for help in all things. And so the miracles, the healings, the teachings, they were all done through the Father. You see, Jesus became totally human and dependent upon heaven for his strength. And all those things he did, his Father did through him. And so Jesus is our example in this. Notice John 15, verse 4 and 5. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do how much? See, just as Jesus was dependent upon his Father for everything that he did, so you are dependent upon Jesus for everything that you can do that would have an eternal benefit. So how did Jesus become so close with the Father in his life that that could happen? In Mark one thirty-five, now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So we want to share with you just very quickly three principles of prayer. Number one, a time to pray. Psalm 5 and verse 3, My voice shall you hear in the morning, O Lord. In when? In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Why in the morning? You start the day off with God and keep Him with you all day long. We want to also have a place, a place to pray. Matthew 6, 6, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly, a place where you won't be bothered. Now, you can pray at any time. You can pray in the midst of craziness, but to have a place to pray is also a powerful tool. So a time and a place and a method. Matthew 6, but when you pray, do not use, uh, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard of their much speaking. But ye therefore like, uh, pardon me, be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of when? Before you ask him. And so prayers is, is just opening your heart to the Lord and just, just talking to him and, and seeking him. It's, uh, you know, any time, any place, all day long. And uh, sometimes it's helpful to pray out loud, uh, especially when you're in a special, a special place where you can, you know, just be by yourself because that helps you to focus on God. But when you're in a 
in a real tight spot, just send up a prayer instantly, and God will be with you. Just to remind us what we can do with Christ. I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me. We need to realize how much we need God in our lives because if we are trying to overcome sin or temptation or difficulties or lifestyle without him, we're powerless. Now let me just ask, what did Jesus say must be our experience before we can see the kingdom of heaven? John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So how can we be born again? Jesus answered, Verily I say to you, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In Titus 3, 5, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit draws us closer to God. The Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit all working together just as one unit because they love us. And, and so being born again, it's, it's having a different direction in our lives. It's uh, having Jesus come in through the power of the Holy Spirit. And these are things that are essential in order for us to be able to understand spiritual things. Ephesians 4, 23 and 24, and he renewed and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You know, this, this issue of medical missionary work is so strange and new to most of us. We need to be converted. We need to be born again. And having a totally different, not revamped, not just modified, but a brand new person. You know, and, and when the devil comes knocking at your door, at that point you can tell him, sorry, that old man isn't living here any longer. He's gone. I'm a new man. God wants that experience for each one of us. It's essential. So, does your new heart lead to a change in your life? And we look at Ezekiel 36. A new heart also will I give to you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take, out, take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Ye shall keep my judgments and do them. So conversion is the new birth, and it's the beginning of spiritual life. And although you can't choose the day you were born, you can't choose the day you had a spiritual birthday either. But you can cooperate with God by allowing God to work in your life to make this happen. Where are we at? That's yours. Six four. Oh. I got lost. <laughs> okay. Now here comes to the punchline.
that nobody likes to hear. How, how many want to? How many here like to hear the the challenge? You must repent. Yeah, nobody likes that. But guess what? Repentance is necessary. And we're wanting to call all of us, including ourselves, to that humble, contrite heart experience of repentance, where we have seen, we've tried to do this all by ourselves. We've tried to do this on our own power. We've tried to do this through our own methods. We've tried to do this our way. God, forgive us. Forgive us. It's time. We get out the good book and the others that go along with it and say, Lord, we want it your way. Jesus says, as many as I love, as many as I what? Hate? Despise? Many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Repentance means that you are sorrow for sin, sorrow, sorry for the past, and we want to change. We confess our sins. We're always, God is always ready and willing to forgive. But we must guard against false sorrow because there is a godly sorrow that produces repentance, and then there's a worldly sorrow that produces death. A real for sorrow for sin includes a turning away from it. A false sorrow for sin is just being sorry for the consequences or sorry that you got caught. The thief is not sorry he stole, but he's only sorry that he's in jail. So we're covering the mechanics of, of the power, the power to change, the power of God in ministry, both for ourselves and for others. And we saw that repentance is part of that. So how do we get genuine repentance? Where does it come from? Acts 5.31 says, Him God has exalted to His right hand to be the Prince and Savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. You see, God doesn't wait around for us to be sorry for our sins bef uh, before we can come to Him. He's, he's loving us all the time, and He wants us to come to Him so that He can give us the repentance we need. And He's, only, he, he's the only one that really can help us to accomplish anything in our spiritual lives. And there's nothing that you have ever done or that I will ever do that will ever come between His loving us and wanting us, and wanting us to come to Him. You see, the point is, we can't turn away from sin in our own strength. We have to go to God to do that even for ourselves. You know, God delights in helping those who can't help themselves, and I'm that person. You see, we can't turn away from our sins in order to repent. That's the wrong order. We need, we need Jesus. We need to come to Jesus in order to repent first. Our part is only, it is always, to come to Him 
the turning away from the sins, he will, become, he will make that happen in our hearts because we'll want to out of love. I don't know if we were making this as clear as we can. But it's only as we have this personal experience and we live this personal experience before those whom we are ministering to that we will have any power for them to change their lives. It's that personal experience, and we can share a personal testimony with the people we're working with. Then we will be able to share with them the power. So that's why we want to, we wanted here this afternoon to review with you how Jesus gained his power and how we can gain that same power. It's through the faith of Jesus. The faith of Jesus, again, is the key to the motive and the power of Jesus. Jesus was 100% man, just like you and me, as well as God. He was 100% God. That blend of humanity with divinity is a mystery, but that blend of humanity with divinity is, in a sense, is what he offers to you and to me. Notice this, Colossians 1, 27. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Was Jesus God? And so when Jesus comes into you, what does he bring? He brings his divine nature. Notice first, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4 by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Where are God's promises found? In his word. Who is the living word? Jesus Christ is the living word. That through these, you may be partakers of what? Just like Jesus had the divine nature and the human nature. He offers you his, in a sense, his divine nature through his word. As the word dwells in your mind, as the word dwells in your heart, the divine nature comes in to you. I can't make that strong enough. Um, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. John 14, verse 23, Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father who uh, will love him, and will come to him and make our what? Make our home, our abode with him. Jesus will live. He'll bring him his divine power. And we read this before in Revelation 3.20. Jesus offers, I will come in to him. If he, he knocks at the door of our heart, and if we will just open that door, he will come in and make his abode with us. That was the whole purpose of the Hebrew sanctuary service, 
was to bring the presence of God into their midst. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So we must spend time with Jesus, spending time letting His Word convict us, letting His Word wash us, letting His Word fill us with His divine power. We spend time with Jesus. Then we consciously realize that Jesus is right by our side all day long. When you're talking to somebody, when you're visiting in their home, when you're helping somebody, when you're working, when you're in school, Jesus is with you 24-7. Our only hope, our only hope, our only hope for power is to have Jesus dwell in us. Ephesians 3, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of God which passes knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. So, the, oh, here we go. Thank Praise you. the Lord. <clears throat> this is the key issue, being filled with all the fullness of God. And to me, that passage just, just absolutely astounds me. Do you want to be filled with the fullness, not just partial, not just a little bit, but the fullness of God? It's incredible what he offers to us. Having quantity and quality time with Jesus in prayer and study will help you make him, Jesus, abide in your hearts through his word. Testimonies, volume 6. There is nothing more needed in the work than the practical results of communion with God. We should show by our daily lives that we have peace and rest in God. His peace in the heart will shine forth in, count, in the countenance. He will give to the voice a persuasive power. Communion with God will impart a moral elevation to the character and to the entire course of action. Men will take knowledge of us as of the first disciples that we have been with Jesus. With the power and light that God imparts, they can comprehend more and accomplish more than they had before deemed possible. So we're speaking of the motive and the power of God that He can make these changes in us. 
And it's not rocket science. It's what the gospel has pointed to us from the very beginning if we focus there. We need that time with Jesus. There, in Testimonies, Volume 6, those who teach the Word must themselves live in hourly contact, in conscious, living communion with God. Their hearts must be alive with the deep movings of the Spirit of God. The source of all power is limitless. And if in your great need you seek the Holy Spirit to work upon your own soul, if you shut yourself in with God, be assured that you will not come out before the people dry and spiritless. Praying much and beholding Jesus, you will cease to exalt self. If you patiently exercise faith, trusting God implicitly, you will recognize the voice of Jesus saying, come up higher. Some may ask, well, I'm a student in school, and the pressures on me are incredible. The time uh, requirements for studies, for tests, for papers, uh, labs, etc., are unbearable. How do I find that time with Jesus? Let me just share you, with you my own personal experience as I was a student uh, quite a few years ago uh, at, uh, in theological seminary at Andrews. My first quarter there, I was straight-A student. But you have to understand that, that those grades did not come easy for me. Some people, they can go to a, a class and not even crack a book and they can get straight A's. That was not me. I had to study hard, really hard. But what I finally came to the realization was this, and I want to encourage you to do this, students that are here. Your teachers are not God. Take your Take your assignment from God. And that's what I came to the realization, that my teachers were not God. Even they were teaching us about God and about the Bible and all the good things. I had to come to the place where I said, okay, I'm going to put God first above my scholastics. And... Uh, I graduated with good grades, probably not as, it wasn't straight A's, but it was pretty close to it. But you know what? How many people have asked me what my grades were when I graduated from seminary? Zero. But how many ask, what's your relationship with Jesus? That's right. And that was what empowered Daniel and his friends. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Who gave them knowledge? It was through their student, through their, their, their diligent studies. Well, they had to study, but who gave them the knowledge? It was God that did. In verse 20, in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which 
king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. And God will make you the head if you put him first. He will raise you up. If the greatest need of our world is love, if it's joy and peace that only Jesus can give, how can you give Jesus to them who is all of that if you don't have him abiding in your own heart? It has to be a moment by moment throughout the day abiding. And that is a growth experience. But it is something that is where we should be. And then Jesus can come out with power to alter the world around us. Selected Messages, Book 1. A revival of true godliness amongst us is of the greatest and most urgent of all of our needs. To seek this should be our first work. There must be an earnest effort to obtain the blessing of the Lord, not because God is not willing to give or bestow His blessings upon us, but because we are unprepared to receive it. Our Heavenly Father is more willing to give His Holy Spirit to them that ask Him than our earthly parents to give good gifts to their children. But it is our work by confession, humiliation, repentance, and earnest prayer to fulfill the conditions upon which God has promised to grant us His blessing. A revival need be expected only in answer to prayer. So we want to make a call for prayer here this afternoon. Our seminar is supposed to be ended in about 10 minutes, but we wanted to end our part of it early so that you can have some time right here and right now gathering into groups of three or maybe four and let's spend some time in prayer together seeking the Lord right now. This message was recorded at the GYC 2015 conference called Chosen Faithful in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.